It was remarkable to wake up on Sunday to word of that horrific stabbing attack in Saskatchewan. It was hard at first to make sense. Normally on a Sunday on a long weekend, it's pretty quiet, as you know. But this was just one of those incidents that as you start to learn more about it, just became more and more horrifying in the details. Of course, the search for one of the accused in one of Canada's largest mass killings is about to enter a fourth day. Uh, Miles Sanderson is still out there tonight, as far as we know. It all began early Sunday morning, around 5.40 a.m. local time. Local RCMP began to receive multiple calls from the James Smith Cree Nation. Now, that's about 200 kilometers uh, north of Saskatoon, about stabbings at different locations. Two brothers, 32-year-old Miles and 31-year-old Damien Sanderson, are suspected to have carried out a series of stabbings, uh, first in their community on the James Smith Cree Nation and then in the nearby village of Weldon. Damien was found dead on Monday near the crime scenes in his community. Miles, again, is still at large tonight. Today, police issued an emergency notice stating that Miles had been seen back in the community. It advised residents already fearful in the area to seek shelter. They surrounded a home, was later determined he's not in the community. And late today, Regina's police chief, Evan Bray, says the force believes Sanderson may may no longer be in that city either. So in many ways... It's back to square one. They do not know where he is this evening. Uh, Saskatchewan RCMP Commanding Officer Rhonda Blackmore is asking the public not to get complacent in their efforts to report possible sightings. She says that Sanderson has a lengthy criminal record, and while he may be injured, he is considered armed and dangerous. As hours go by and as days go by here, I don't want people to become complacent that, um, you know, because we haven't seen any victims since the initial victims that uh, were um, reported and discovered on Sunday. We certainly don't want people to believe that there is no danger out there, that there's no threat. Well, as the search for Sanderson continues, families of the victims are remembering lives lost tonight, including 61-year-old Gloria Burns. Uh, She was with the First Nations crisis response team and was attending to a call when apparently the suspects entered the home. Her son said she tried to protect one of the other victims when she was killed. Here's her brother, Daryl Burns. My sister was a very caring person. She devoted her life to helping people. For her to go into a situation like this where she, she uh, helping people, even though it costed her life, that's what she was. That's who she was. Daryl Burns there speaking of his sister, Gloria Burns. Today, many First Nations leaders and other dignitaries, including Premier Scott Moe, were in Big River, uh, in the Big River First Nation for the unveiling of a new hockey complex. Uh, the Premier offered his support to everyone impacted during this horrific incident. Those of you that have friends and family in the James Smith, uh, James Smith community or Weldon or are in, impacted in any way, please know that all of this province's heart is with you and your family uh, this weekend and in the weeks and months ahead, most certainly. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe there. The leaders of the James Smith Cree Nation have declared a state of emergency, which is expected to last through the end of the month. Well, joining me now with more on this is lawyer Eleanor Sunchild. She's owner of Sunchild Law, an Indigenous law firm in Saskatchewan and member of Thunderchild First Nation. Her daughters have ties to the James Smith First Nation and she joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Good evening. Thank you. It's hard to put this into into words, really, isn't it? I mean, just the impact it must have had on this community today. I know you've been speaking to people there. Uh, I imagine it's just starting to settle in now, even though the fear is still there, I would imagine. Yeah, I think I, I have been talking to some some of the relatives over there, and it it's very heavy. You know, they're they're supporting each other and and working 
um, like nonstop. My heart goes out to all of them. My heart goes out to the family of that elder Gloria Burns. It's mm-hmm. just, it's so sad. You mentioned at one point that, that when you look at who's been lost, so many of them were really important members of the community, older members of the community, you know, pillars. They, they were, yeah, there, there was, there was elders who were lost and, and that lady that, that you were speaking about was a, a NADAP worker I was reading, and she was, there, a, you know, a pillar in the community. So it's a great loss for the, all of the community and the surrounding communities as well. You mentioned a bit about, about you'd heard from the community about a sense of helplessness. I was wondering what you meant by that. Well, I think that that's more, like, of course, they feel terrible about this, but in the overall uh, scheme, like I think most communities feel helpless with with the with with the addictions. Um, I truly believe that that colonization and Indian residential schools played a big role in that. And you know, it, it's such an overwhelming problem on not just James Smith, but many First Nations across across Canada. You had now have. Um, widespread addictions and, and unfortunately, tragedy after tragedy. Yeah, tell me a bit about just the fact, I mean, you know, I don't think many people had heard of the James Smith Cree First Nation before this weekend. What is the, what is the situation there? And, and, and the fact that the, the violence came from within, how, how, do you, how do you even begin to sort of help with that? Uh, yeah, I think you have to look at it with compassion and understanding like it it's really easy to blame and point the finger and say um this was a really bad person but we don't know his circumstances yes what he did was terrible but there there has to be a, an understanding of what the Indian residential school system did and how people uh who have childhood trauma like I don't know this individual's history at all I don't don't know his personal circumstances but I do know that there is a lot of trauma left over from colonization and Indian residential schools and grief and it just keeps compounding and compounding and it seems like it's just overwhelming that's the comment about helplessness like how do you address you know a hundred years of hurt yeah and of course, addiction's been a problem in communities up and down the country, right? I mean, broadly, uh, the problems of addiction right now. How is that manifesting itself? I mean, it's really hard, obviously, to go from from trauma and, and, and addiction and alcohol, to, you know, any sort of form of addiction to something like this. I mean, it's it's hard, obviously, to make that that leap. But obviously, addiction is a, is an issue in communities right across the country. Are there the kinds of supports in place in communities like James Smith to deal with it? Uh, on a widespread basis, no. Uh, in yeah. in most indigenous communities, no, there needs to be uh, like not not only a focus on addictions, but an, a, a focus on um, like really the impacts of of Indian residential school, the impacts of colonization. Right. You have communities right. that are mm-hmm. are impoverished, that don't have access to services, that don't you know it's 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 a bad situation. And it's just going to get worse unless we we focus on healing these people, you know, helping our communities and and really looking at the root causes of of addiction. 
you're a lawyer, I know, and you've you've been doing this for a long time, and you've you know you've studied political science at the U of A as well as law. So I know you know all this stuff inside out. When one looks at the way the legal system worked here, and I know people will be talking about the fact that he was out on parole, that perhaps he had a history of violence, that perhaps people will look at him as being, uh, at least uh, Miles Anderson allegedly, as having been a bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, how do you look at the justice system and the way it works here in terms of that? Did, did the community deserve to be better protected against him, or is that completely off base? No, that's not off base, but the problem is not just that community like the problem is is when you have you have inmates who have who have childhood trauma and you put them into jail where they don't get any help they don't get services and then they're let out again without services like there used to be uh, a focus on integrating them back in the community but that's been scaled back and that's the issue like there has to be more support when they're released and i don't know the situation i don't know his personal circumstances i don't know what happened but i know generally like there's an over incarceration the jails are full of indigenous people over incarceration of indigenous people is a big problem and so is a lack of services uh in the jail and when they're released I can't imagine what's going to lie ahead for this community. How, with all that you've talked about, you know, all the other issues that are there, now having to try to rebuild from this too. Uh, when you've spoken to people there, where do they where do they even begin at this point? Do you know? Yeah, it's really it's it's a really hard and sad situation. I think now they're they're trying to plan a number of funerals and logistically, like how how are they going to plan? You know, nine or it would be about nine funerals. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our in our ways, like there needs to be a wake and, and a funeral. Like it's a it's a ceremony in itself and it's going to be very difficult for them to plan plan that for all of the individuals who were killed. It is it is incomprehensible. It's just it's so heartbreaking. I can imagine it. And also just in terms of the fact that there's still someone out there and he's a member of the community and he's out there somewhere we don't know where the fear within the community and we heard it in reporting today um must be there too because we have no idea why this happened right no there's i i have no idea and you know i i'm not from james smith i haven't been there uh mm. since this happened so i don't speak for the community but no, of course i not. have been talking to to some people there and and yeah there's there's some fear and but mostly it's grief and just shock and trying to figure out how they can honor their loved ones when there's so many of them yeah when you look at this within the context of all that's happened in the past year around residential schools and graves and reconciliation for everyone out there, for, for the rest of the country, how to put this into perspective, like how to make sure that this, this is going to be a challenge to get it right, you know, to show the right amount of compassion, to talk about the person who's allegedly committed these crimes with the right amount of, with the right amount of condemnation, but also recognizing how it's seen within the community as well. You know, there's, there, it's going to be a test, I think. Do you think we're, how do you think everyone's doing so far? Our people are resilient and sadly you know, that, that's not a term that I like to use, but it's true. Like, we've been through tragedy after tragedy, and the, the graves are are just one part of it. We've known about 
the history of colonization for mm-hmm. a long time and, and what residential schools did to our people. And, and all of this is fallout from that. It is. Yeah. It really is. Oh, and, you know, our the, people, yeah. they'll, they'll recover. They'll, they'll get through it. And they have a lot of support. They have so much support from everybody. Yeah. You mentioned there was concern within the community and you as well about a backlash. What did you mean by that? What what would that look like? And what would you like to see not done? Well, I, you know, I've seen some posts and some things from um, uh, basically racist rednecks who, like I seen a TikTok yesterday of, of a, a man in Saskatchewan saying that Gerald Stanley was his hero and that people should shoot, shovel and shut up. Uh, right. there's, a, there's a fear like towards Indigenous people. And that just comes from lack of education and racism. How should we look at this then? I mean, this is someone who's committed a horrific, he's you know, committed a violent, violent crime against defenseless people. How should we look at, at this person, especially if, we, if he's caught? If, well, I don't, I don't know his, as I said, I don't know his yeah, personal circumstances. I know you don't know his story, but in general, yeah. They, they must have been, they must have been bad. I'm not excusing his behavior at all, but, but it, it, it's so tragic and so terrible there. It, it's part of a wider uh, discussion that we have to have about how you use the word ticking time bomb. How mm-hmm. did, how did that happen? And what yeah. were the causes and, and, and where did it come from? Like that has to be looked at. And, and I'm sure that it's connected to residential school it's connected to a lack of services probably when when uh inmates are released from prison like all all sorts of things it just can't be looked at as a at, you know through a microscope yeah because obviously the, the the real mission here is to make sure it never happens again right exactly eleanor so child thank you so happen. much yeah go ahead yes it go could ahead. happen it could happen in any other community because the issues are the same. There's poverty, there's addiction, there's trauma, there's, you know, all sorts of, of lack of services. And, yeah. and Viol- violence too. I mean, let's be honest, it's violence as well within, within those situations, right? It's not uncommon. Right. It's not, but that's what was taught in the schools. Mm. It really was. Well, Eleanor's, you know, and, Eleanor's central. Go, no, go ahead, please. I sort of cut you off. Violent, like, Colonial violence creates more violence. Lateral, this is like the ultimate form of lateral violence is, is murder. So, yeah. the, you know, we have to look at why, why is there so much violence in communities? It, it's not that Indigenous people are just prone to violence. No, it comes, it goes back to uh, trauma. It goes back to uh intergenerational effects of Indian residential school and, and addictions. That's just the way people cope with trauma. Eleanor Sunshine, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, your thoughts with me tonight. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you.